Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Bailey, and welcome back to the Smart Money Podcast. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Money, money, Before we start today's podcast, I just wanted to give a quick thank you to you guys. Between the last six podcasts we released, we had a 28,000 view number come back to us. Absolutely phenomenal. I'm, I'm stoked that I'm able to help you guys out so much. Uh, with that being said, I think I'm going to be posting on more of a regular schedule, uh, releasing Wednesdays at noon and Sundays at noon, giving me a little bit more time to kind of edit and manage the videos the podcast, everything we're doing over here. And uh, I'm glad I can be providing for you guys all this help financially. Um, If you haven't done so already, hit that follow button. It helps me out a lot. And uh, it it appears from our analytics that only about half of you who listen to this podcast are following. Go ahead, follow, free to you guys. Uh, And without further ado, here we go with the podcast. Now, today we're going to be kind of having a little bit more different of an episode And instead of talking about money and how you make it, we're going to kind of talk about the rat race and and how how a lot of you guys are stuck into it, working your nine to five, constantly competing for money, and and kind of a couple things that you probably didn't know about money and and kind of how it works within our economies. Now, what is a rat race, you might be asking? A rat race is an endless, self-defeating, or pointless pursuit. The phase of equates humans to rats attempting to earn rewards such as cheese in vain. It may also refer to a competitive struggle to get ahead financially or routinely. The term is commonly associated with an exhausting, repetitive lifestyle that leaves no time for relaxation or enjoyment. And this is straight off of Wikipedia. I know your teachers probably told you in school not to use Wikipedia, but it's got absolute great definitions for things. Um, now kind of the rat race you might be stuck in now is, is, uh, working your nine to five job, waking up early, going to work, coming home, cooking dinner. Maybe you'll have like two, three hours to yourself at night and then you restart the day. And I know a lot of people kind of identify this with their own life to say the least, but we need to escape the rat race. And sure, there's always going to be openings for people and, and the need for people to be working those those jobs. We, we need our architects. We need our engineers, industry, whatever it is. We need people working. But for the 28,000 people listening to this podcast, it may be, I mean, some of you are going to listen to this. Some of you are going to listen to it and take my advice and absolutely fail. And some of you are going to succeed. We need those people to succeed. So that we can return the enjoyment to life, being able to relax, being able to enjoy time with your family. Maybe you travel the world if that's what you want to do, but you can't do that stuck in a nine to five job. Maybe you might be able to a couple times in your life, but I mean, there's absolutely no way to get away from that. So kind of escaping the rat race, uh, we'll, kind of, we'll kind of talk here about uh, professional boxer and heavyweight champion Mike Tyson. Um, now, if you didn't know, Mike Tyson previously vowed for bankruptcy a few years ago with $30 million in debt. Now, despite accumulating over $300 million during the course of his career, which poses 
a great question about money itself because a great deal of our actions or our motivations in life have an underlying desire or need to acquire money. But what's the point in acquiring it if the great issue seems to be with our ability to manage it? Now, right now, Americans have the highest credit card debt in history. If you didn't learn anything about debt, it is an invisible burden being carried by the country's most vulnerable. Of course, these statistics are reflective of the UK and the US, but consider for a moment your own attitude towards money and how money exists in your own life. What is money to you? Does, does it seem like you enter your life and immediately leave once you have it? Has it ever placed you in a vulnerable position where a vulnerability that drew you closer to a get-rich-quick scheme or a guru telling you that you can get rich if you bought their course, whilst the entire channel aims to tackle these topics uh, to some degree or another by making money, I realize that our, our perceptions of money are sometimes more crucial than the ability to generate it, especially when our very brains are wired in such a way that prevents us from being financially sensible. Does it really matter if you're earning more than six figures a year, but by the end of the year, you have nothing left to show for it. Kind of like what I was saying with Mike Tyson at the start, how he had $300 million made during his career, more money than most of you will see in your lifetime, but ended up 30 million in debt. Where is that disconnect? I think it's about time we kind of solve that mystery. And not only that, but explore a better framework for understanding money. A framework commonly taught in personal finance, but often miss in, in formal education. Um, a question, what is money? Or rather, what does money represent when you make a purchase from Amazon? When you're paid for your time working a job, what is the significance of money in these transactions uh, money is commonly defined kind of as, as a medium of exchange, um, an instrument that facilitates the sale, purchase, or trade of goods between parties. Again, with the Wikipedia definitions, shout out to Wikipedia today. Um, but I, I mean, I, I don't think it says much about what money actually represents. Now, I think a little bit better of a way of looking at money is more of an expression of value. You hand over a certain amount of money to purchase something because you perceive its value to be equivalent to the amount of money that you handed over. Of course, the price is often not determined by you as an individual, but by the market as a whole. But hone in on this one point, money equals value. Why is it so important? Because often we give money a moral significance. Um, a, quote, a quote I'm sure many of you have heard before. Money is the root of our evil. We look at someone who seems to have a large amount of wealth and think, wow, they got lucky. Or, or how did they take advantage of another person to get that position? And kind of what we create with this is a misunderstanding of money. But... In our minds, we kind of look at it and have, have a sense of somebody's values generated off of this money, and we are giving them negative value. Money is not necessarily evil, nor does it make a person evil. Sure, there are things that scammers who convince you that 
all, all you have to do is, is give your credit card information or, or what they have to do, what they're selling um, is worth a certain amount, such as some of those drop shippers who send items made for pennies for hundreds of dollars. But that doesn't really say much about money more so than it does their own morals. Money simply opens your options and brightens your horizons. The choices you make with that money have everything to do with your own moral dispositions. So money is an expression of value now. How does this change the reality of a person living paycheck to paycheck or someone who is consumed by credit card debt? The simple mention of money equals value changes nothing. It may make me see money in a different light, but what part of this actionable advice to answer that question? I'll post another question. What is your relationship with money? Money will come into your life and it will leave. This relationship is often expressed by your income and expenses. Another practical way of expressing this, which I particularly like, is your production versus consumption. For the most part, money will enter your life because you have produced some form of value. And for most of us, this value will come in the form of labor. A job that makes you work, showing up at certain hours to make a paycheck. But money is consumed. A Netflix, a Netflix, excuse me, a Netflix subscription, a new car, a house. In many of the ways, we can look at the net worth of an individual and measure and use it as a metric for kind of determining their relationship between consumption and production. Now, kind of cast your mind back to those statistics I mentioned at the start of this video. What part of consumption versus production relationship do you think is at fault when you consider yourself for a moment? Think about all the money that has entered your life and left. How much of that do you still have and how much are you still in possession of today? Is it invested into some sort of asset or is it in some kind of liability? What part of this relationship do you feel is unbalanced or needs improving? The likelihood is both, but for most of us, the biggest issue lies with our consumption. Remember, the career builder study that found that 78% of American workers were living paycheck to paycheck well, it was also found that of these workers who made $100,000 or more a year, one in 10 of them were living paycheck to paycheck. Now, you could argue that someone earning six figures a year may still like to earn more, but when you are paid a figure that is well above the average wage and the cost of living, and yet you still somehow find a way to spend it all, I'd argue that your relationship with consuming must be fixed before you even consider your relationship with the production. As any wealthy celebrity who has filed for bankruptcy can show us, production means nothing when you have a problem with consumption. A rat race, an endless self-defeating or pointless pursuit, sometimes the rat race is conflated with working a nine-to-five job, and it's a comparison often used by certain individuals to guilt you into buying programs and books for them, but this seems extremely unfair. This is why I'm giving you guys this information for free. I absolutely do not, do not appreciate people trying to sell you this information, but 
I am understanding that it is very valuable and it takes years to find out most of these things. But if you haven't already, hit that follow button because I am about to change your perception on money. Most of these people villainize a job and exclude the fact that there are those who either love or are perfectly fine with the jobs they currently have or have other aspirations besides their nine to five that they are working on. A real rat race is one that is living on a financial edge, one being living on paycheck to paycheck and are one paycheck short away from being broke. Constantly a feeling as though the moment money enters your life, it immediately disappears. And the more responsibilities you have, the more dangerous this relationship becomes the loss of a job, an unexpected health accident, or any unexpected circumstance, for that matter, can throw your entire financial position into turmoil. And consider the mental consequences of living on this financial edge. Your job no longer becomes an option, it becomes a necessity in order to keep funding your lifestyle or to keep paying off some kind of debt that you've owned from the, from the future. Now, if you don't know me personally, I love Fight Club, the movie. Absolutely great movie and kind of gives that mental image of escaping the rat race. Now, one of my favorite quotes I found from watching this movie was from Tyler Durden. And he says, the things you own end up only you. Now, this kind of sounds a bit like there's nothing to it. But if we break it down, we find the silver lining. It doesn't have to continue like that. The first stepping stone in personal finance will have you drawing an awareness to your relationship with money. This is often done by journaling your monthly expenses, categorized as housing, transportation, food utilities and entertainment, and so on and so forth. It's about understanding yourself as a consumer, but this part is tough. In behavioral finance, this feeling can often be labeled as the ostrich effect, which is our tendency to want to avoid negative financial information. It's the feeling you get when you refuse to look at your bank account after a night out, fearing what it might show, and yet, once you pass this stage, it's time for you to take control over your behavior as a consumer. This often involves the idea of budgeting, deciding each month how much you aim to spend on each of these categories and sticking to it. It's about systematically looking at what you consume and finding ways in which you can minimize these things to ultimately live below your means. In other words, having a lifestyle that still leaves you with enough money to save and invest into some sort of another. It's also important to note that before you even decide to invest, one of the most common practices in personal finance is to keep an emergency fund. Now, this is something I've talked about in, in previous podcasts. But kind of to define it again, it is a specific amount of savings that you hold on to in case of an emergency. This fund would typically hold three to six months worth of expenses. In my personal sense, if everything went wrong, I have one full year of expenses planned out for. But this is not doable for everybody. The idea, however, of living below your means is an important one. Because why would we choose to do otherwise? Why would we choose to live a lifestyle we can't afford or one that places us on this financial edge? I can make an entire 
podcast of me talking about our cognitive biases. The ostrich effect is just one of which we can affect your financial position. Then there's hyperbolic discounting, a tendency to favor short-term rewards as opposed to greater rewards in the future. This is you choosing to purchase a new pair of shoes instead of saving that money and putting it into a future investment. Or there's social proof, our tendency to think and act as others around us think and act. This is where the phrase keeping up with the Joneses summarizes kind of where this great problem of consumption occurs. This is a phrase defined by Google as trying to emulate or not be outdone by one's neighbors. They buy a new Porsche, you buy a new Porsche. They get new clothes, you get new clothes. You get to see them renovate their house, you go ahead and renovate yours as well. This is kind of one of the biggest social pressures in today's society. Keeping up with the Joneses, they're not our literal neighbors. They're far more present than that. We are all vulnerable to social approval. We really care what other people think of us. But the problem is we're measuring our self-worth by how many people like what we're posting um, or what we're buying or, or whatever that might be. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that purchasing an expensive piece of clothing, jewelry, or sports car is a bad thing, nor do I think consuming is a bad thing. We absolutely need to treat ourselves because why would we live 40, 50, 60 years of our life and have no joy from it? Now, absolutely do these things, but people end up buying them more often than they absolutely should and putting themselves further and further into debt. The aim of this podcast isn't to philosophize about repercussions of materialistic view of the world. It's more about drawing an awareness to who you are as a consumer. Do you care more about appearing as though you have money or actually having money? The rat race isn't about working a nine to five job, but living life on such an edge that it means that you're chasing the next thing, whether a paycheck or material possession, such as your greater life goals and ambitions and having them placed in the background in order to continue this race. A budget and keeping account of your expenses have proven time and time again to work and draw you out of this race. It's fun to talk about making money or imagining having as much wealth as possible, but what's the point when your relationship with money as a consumer means losing it all or having to work nonstop in order to fund that lifestyle. That is the real rat race. But with all of that being said, let's talk about making money. Now, you can listen to stocks, personal finance, YouTube videos, podcasts, things like Graham Stephan, Dave Ramsey. They're great for learning how to work on your consumption side of the equation. But if there's one thing I wish they spoke more about, it would be their ability to make money. And I understand why they don't do this. It's easier to reduce your expenses in amount that you consume than it is to increase your income. When speaking to a mass audience, giving the advice that will work for most people is typically the best choice. And we see that there's entire communities built up around focusing on frugality. The FIRE community is one example of this. Uh, it's a movement that adopts this strategy of living extremely frugally saving and investing as early as possible with the intentions of retiring as early as possible. Minimalists also share a similar view to the FIRE community. 
although more deep-rooted in philosophical positions about the world and materialism at large, people like Graham Stephan or Dave Ramsey promote strategies that fall in the spectrum of living frugally, saving a lot more money, and investing in the long run. And there's nothing inherently wrong with this strategy. It works for a wider range of people with varying degrees of income, but let's be honest, Graham Stephan doesn't rely on cutting coupons or living an incredible frugal lifestyle himself. From, from what we see on YouTube, Dave Ramsey doesn't really either. Relying on these strategies is something that you can obviously see they don't do. He has a net worth of $55 million. That, I, that's Dave Ramsey, um, if you didn't peck that up. $55 million, and these people are utilizing a means of production at mass scale. In this podcast, The Untold Truth About Money, I, I talked about money being equivalent to your perceived value in the market. And in the most impactful way of increasing your values to find a problem in the market, creating a solution for that problem and selling that solution to the market at scale. This is the entrepreneurial route. A successful business at scale is able to produce a large amount of value to run a society such that your production aside from the equation grows exponentially in comparison to a standard job. But... This isn't a route that everyone can take, nor should they try to. It's about reflecting on your own capabilities and whether entrepreneurship is best suited to your direction. With that being said, increasing your production doesn't have to come just from the strict definition of a business. Graham Stephan uses a YouTube as a vehicle to produce something. In this case, videos about personal finance at mass scale. It's one of the reasons that I chose to create videos on my personal YouTube as well. It's a vehicle to produce something in, in this case documentary style and, and kind of have these podcasts at a large scale to a point where I can now do it full time if I really wanted to, putting my other businesses aside and have a business that I could build around it. Producing is about providing rel relative value in the market in some shape or form and I utilize my skills with kind of how this podcast is more of a creative outlet. But if somebody else was in my shoes, kind of how I said earlier, having an audience of 28,000 people, you can absolutely make money through that doing some kind of brand deal, some kind of monetization of the channel. And these are people on YouTube that we watch every day talking about their personal finance. They use it as a vehicle for making themselves money. But thankfully, the market responds positively from this type of production and kind of how this kind of portrays into things like app development and, and software is a problem in the market. People pay thousands and thousands of dollars for games on their phone. People have found this and absolutely exploited it, making games that you see advertisements of online and what do you do? You, you buy the, you get the game, maybe it's free, maybe you buy it, and it's full of ads, and then you have to pay to remove the ads, and all while the developer is making all of this money. Maybe we're talking about a fitness brand that is, is branded extremely well and utilizes its community better than most other fitness brands, 
and I believe this is the case with Ben Francis and what he did with Gymshark, but for most people, labor in the form of a standard 9-to-5 job will be their means of production. But this doesn't necessarily mean that your ability to produce stops there. Understanding yourself as a producer is about understanding ways in which you can produce value to the market. If you can produce value at large scales, then that means earning money at large scales. And the internet has thankfully provided a great deal of opportunity for us to be able to produce something and put it out on the market. Whether the market actually wants to be um, something that you've produced can only be determined once you've released whatever it is that you've produced. So to summarize, it's first important to be an to be aware of yourself as a consumer, understanding what you purchase and why you purchase by journaling your consumption and then giving yourself a budget to manage and control that consumption. Producing then becomes a matter of maximizing the amount of value you can bring into society. Through a job, a business, or some sort of means of production, this is the framework that has helped me build my businesses greatly I'm sure it's helped countless others who have a vetted interest in making money. Now, kind of the basis on this production side is you need to make some kind of vehicle that can produce you money. And I know everyone says find a niche in the market, but maybe that's not the best option. People have many, many, many YouTube videos, YouTube channels, and that is such a saturated market. But still, we have people popping up every single day who come out produce their video, and still make thousands off of it. Maybe you need to kind of look at what you're doing now. Maybe it's a side hustle. Maybe it's just an idea and figure out how to scale it. These people don't become millionaires overnight. It takes years of dedication. And so instead of finding 10 different things and doing them all half-assed, find one thing, do it for a year and a half. And if it doesn't work, move on. Move on to the next idea because you're not starting from scratch again. You're starting from experience. Maybe trying to find a way to add value to this market um, is something you need to kind of read up on in books, on personal finance, on podcasts like this one. All this related stuff can help make you a millionaire and kind of produce money in a lifestyle that you are looking for. Now, there's many, many good personal finance books. I know one that really helped me at the start of my career was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Some of you probably read that many, many times. Um, another great one, great author, I would say, is MJ DeMarco. Uh, he has absolutely phenomenal work that can help you on the entrepreneurship side of stuff. But I suppose with all that being said, absolutely, absolutely look at the equation of your life. Understand how you are making that money. Figure out your production and consumption and how you can kind of lower that consumption phase to add to your production phase and kind of understand how money works in your life. With that being said, if you made it to the end of this podcast, I really thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you in the next podcast. Thank you.